Welcome to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and KRDP 90.7 FM. Later in the show, we'll learn about Salt Vimo Events, a Native woman-owned company specializing in event management with owner Candace Mendez. And we'll chat with Tyrell Tashini, Native American weaver. But right now, Susan Levy talks with Jay Wan, recruiter for Tawana Odom Community College. I'm Susan Levy, and on the phone with us today is Jay Wan. She's a recruiter at TO Community College. And Jay, it's an honor to have you on our show. Hi, thank you for having us. So before we get started, please tell us about yourself and your journey with TO Community College. Good gosh, everyone. Good day. My name is Jay Wan, and I am the recruiter at Thon Autumn Community College. I am also a member of the Thon Autumn Nation. I am a part of the Self District. I moved to Tucson to attend high school, and then shortly after, I attended the University of Arizona. And now I am back working in my community as a recruiter. So I am here to serve as your, your first stop if you're interested in higher education and you want to pursue some type of degree, whether that's just for um, direct employment or if you want to go on and earn a bachelor's or go even further than that, TOCC is here for you to support you and really make everything accessible for everyone who is interested. So let's start with the basics. What is TOCC and where is it located? So Thonautham Community College is a two-year tribal college but we are welcoming to all people. But originally we were founded to serve the Donna Austin people. And uh, we've been around since 1998 and we've had a lot of growth since then. We actually have several sites. So our main campus is located 15 minutes south of Sells, Arizona and about an hour west of Tucson three hours south of Phoenix. So we are definitely located close to the border and the Sonoran Desert. So we have beautiful landscape at our main campus. We can enjoy the views of the Kick Peak Mountains. Um, and then along with our main campus, we also have our west site. And that is located on the outskirts of Sells, Arizona. And then this one might be a little more relevant to our urban Native population, but we have a site in Phoenix. So that is across from Central High School in the Native Connections Building. We are located on the fifth floor of the Native Connections Building. So you can get an associate's degree, correct? Yes, we offer several several programs for our associate's degree. And then we also offer Associate of Applied Science program. So if you're interested in direct employment, those are some options for you as well as certificates. And those pair well with your Associate of Applied Science or Associate's degree. So we have a lot of programs and we're continue, continuing to develop more to meet the needs of our students. Jay, can you tell me who's eligible and something about your different programs? I know you've got a wide array of different classes. We are currently offering free tuition to all Native American students. So if you are enrolled in a tribe and you can provide proof of tribal enrollment be eligible to receive our free tuition and then for non-natives and non-enrolled natives you just have to submit your proof of residency and you'll be able to attend TOCC and we're really 
proud to announce that we have one of the lowest tuitions in Arizona. So it's uh, our tuition rate is about $34.25 per credit. So that's really affordable. And then we also encourage our students to apply for scholarships as well. So like I mentioned before, we really want to make higher education accessible to all students. Higher education's the key, but I'm still going to go back to the free tuition. So you said it's anybody with a tribal ID, correct? Yes. So you, as long as you are tribally enrolled and can provide proof, so that would be like your tribal ID or certificate of Indian blood and your state ID, you, you meet our requirements. That's awesome. All right. So do the TO classes, do they transfer to the universities to either U of A or ASU or NAU? Yes. So fully accredited. So our credits will transfer to so many colleges and universities. Um, We also have a transition coordinator to help our students once they're done with, you know, their program here at TOCC and spending their time here with us. We have a support system set up for them for easy transfer. So we have colleges, universities, institutions come in and speak with our students so that they can already start thinking about their next after TOCC. We have great partnerships with all public Arizona universities. If you finish any of our transfer programs with a 2.5 GPA or higher, you're guaranteed admissions into all of the public Arizona universities. Wow, I did not know that. Okay, so GPA of 2.5 guaranteed admission. That is a huge selling point. So are your programs only in person or do you also have a virtual component? So we offer online, virtual, and in-person classes and you can earn your program online as well. Okay, that's a really good option. Okay, so what's the application process like and are there any deadlines coming up? If you are interested in applying and attending TOCC, you can do so by visiting our our website. It's www.tocc.edu and and click apply now and it'll take you to our online application. If you would like to attend the upcoming fall semester, be sure to submit an online application by August 19th. 2020 at 5 p.m. Arizona time. Do you have any favorite success stories? You all do such a tremendous job, and I think the service that you're providing and the free tuition is so important for people to take their next step. So I know you've got a lot of success stories and that people have transitioned from TOCC to either ASU, U of A, NAU, or other schools. Yes, so one of our biggest goals is to help our students develop and then come back and work and serve in their community. So it's great to see over the years how many of our alum have gone on to attend universities, earn their degrees, and then either come back and work at our college or go back into the community and serve our people. So, And is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners? I want to make sure everyone is aware that all of our sites are open to the public. We welcome anyone to come and visit us. Uh, Just be sure that you provide proof of full vaccination if you are going to be at any of our sites. We are also offering free breakfast, lunch, and dinner Monday through Friday to all of our students. 
So if you're ever in the area at our main campus, come by and visit us and you can pick up some food between classes or just come and visit with our staff. We would be more than happy to help you. And then also for our Phoenix site, if you ever want to go in and use our services, you are more than welcome to do so. We have a web page on our website that provides you with more contact information if you ever want to stop by our Phoenix site. Okay, I forgot to ask you a couple questions. Uh, do you have dorms at any of the community colleges? Yes, so we have our dorms located at our main campus, we are also offering free dorms and then covering the cost of tuition, books, and fees. So if you are interested in attending TOCC and living on campus, you can do so completely for free. So all you have to do is, one, make sure that you are a full-time student, and then two, complete the residence life application and submit all of your required documents and you'll be considered to live on campus and again get everything completely covered and attend college for free. And finally Jay, how can our listeners learn more about TO Community College and how can they contact you? So if you're interested in learning more about the college or have questions, you can always reach out to me. My phone number is 520-479-2300, extension 1234. Or you can send me an email if that's convenient for you. My email is jajuan at t-o-c-c dot e-d-u. And I got to say, Jay, you have always been so gracious, and I know that you make people feel comfortable, especially when they're starting their educational journey. So hats off to you. And thanks for taking time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. Yes, of course. Thank you for inviting me. Coming up next, host Lana Shapuati talks with Candace Mendez. Support for KRDP 90.7 FM comes in part from Native Health, with two locations in Phoenix, 4041 North Central Avenue, Building C, near the corner of Central Avenue and Indian School Road, and at 2423 West Dunlap Avenue. Native Health is also located in Mesa at 777 West Southern Avenue, near the corner of Southern and Extension Roads. Native Health provides primary medical, dental, behavioral health, WIC, and community wellness services for the urban Native American community. For more information, call 602 279 5262 or visit our webpage at nativehealthphoenix.org.
Welcome back to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and KRDP 90.7 FM. I'm host Lanasha Pawati. Candice Mendez is the owner and operator of Salt V Mole Event, a Native woman-owned company specializing in event management from concept to creation. Hello, Candice. It's an honor to have you on our show today. Hi, Yate. And before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey with Salt V Mo events? Can you tell us where you're from and about your indigenous heritage? Absolutely. Um, thank you for having me on the show. I'm really excited. Piate, Shea, Candice, Mendez, and Shia. And I am from Seba Delcai, Arizona, and our offices are located in Delcon, Arizona. It's a pleasure to have you on our show today, Candice. And uh, let's just start with the basic. Can you tell us more about what Salt Vimo events and what services does your company provide? Salt Vimo events is an event planning company. So Salt Vimo specializes in event management from concept to creation. Our 10 years plus years of industry experience allows for seamless event execution that showcases your client's organization while adding a personal gravity to their marketing and branding efforts. Um, we exist, um, sorry, we leverage our existing relationships with vendors and other professional service contractors to ensure that you get the most reliable and cost efficient services to your budget. Um, where services are focused around major event logistics with the, co- with the goal of organizing, performing, and managing tasks necessary to support our clients, their staff, or their executive planning committee to create a memorable conference experience. So the events that we plan are conferences, trade shows, conventions, meetings, retreats, um, everything on the professional um, business level except for um, weddings and birthdays. And what sets us apart from other event planners is that we have inherent knowledge and cultural sensitivity. Salt Lima has inherent knowledge and cultural sensitivity towards Native traditions, which allows for more customized conference programming and creates space for maximum engagement and networking opportunities. So that looks like, you know, other events may have, you know, like a teepee for their reception events. But I know that that is, not appropriate for a native event and it would offend a lot of people so i know just by being a native that conversation doesn't have to happen we don't have to say oh don't make this print or um you know just from where i come from for navajos i know not to have any like meals or any kind of images of bears or snakes around the meals or even around the events just having that cultural sensitivity and knowledge of native um issues really sets me apart from other event planners who may not have that um, that connection with um, the Native community. The services we will provide, we start out with conference strategy, where we talk about your budget, um, we talk about where your goals with this event are, we do site selection, registration, um, speaker and program management, I take care of AV, food and beverage, um, if we have a trade show, we take care of all the exhibitors. Um, with the ho- and then I also manage the hotel and lodging, the rooming list, the master bill. Um, I also manage the meeting space where all the sessions would happen, all the AV that would need to be there. 
Um, I also do on-site conference management. And then also, this is also extras, is to um, do post-conference assessment and debriefing where we evaluate the event, we go over the budget, and then um, just make sure that everybody's happy and then do it all over again. <laughs> oh, wow. How do you juggle everything? <laughs> So are all of your I mean, events, are all of your events, um, do they, that you worked with, do, do they all take place on the reservations or is it kind of throughout Arizona? I'll say that one thing that all my events have in common are that they are, um, they are either run or put on by a tribal entity or they are put on by a outside organization that does work with a tribal entity. So a good example of that would be the, um, I apologize, it's with the University of California, and they have a program, the acronym is HEAL, H-E-A-L, and they have a fellowship training at Dineth College in Saley, Arizona. And so that would be an example of an outside, in, outside entity doing work with a tribal entity like Dineth College to put on this, um, to put on this workshop, these um, trainings. Candice, can you share any favorite story from working in the events management that makes it all worth it? Yes. I just think in general, when the event's over and everybody's leaving and everybody is so happy and they stick around longer, they're hanging out in the meeting space longer, they're hanging out in the foyers longer, um, talking to their new connections, the new people they've met, the old people they've already known. That for me is most satisfying seeing and seeing that at the end of the conference and having to actually kick people out because we're going to break down the rooms. <laughs> that is just really heartwarming for me to know that I did my job. I did a great job putting everybody together, making people feel like they're not at a conference where they're, they're noticing that, oh my gosh, the food is late. Oh, this meeting room isn't set up. Oh, the AV is not working. That's the only time that people remember that at a conference when these snacks, these snags happen. And so I do my best to make sure everything flows smoothly. So you don't have to worry about the agenda. You don't have to worry about where you're going. You don't have to worry about finding a map. It should all be either on your phone in an app or in a printed agenda or communicate it with you beforehand so that you go there prepared. And all you have to worry about is meeting and networking and learning. Oh, definitely. And it seemed like any person who was looking to even run an event that you would run it very smoothly for them. And speaking um, about your events, we didn't talk about um, how you got your name for your company, Salt Vimo Events. Can you tell us more about the name? Yes. And something for business owners out there. You don't have to have your like the name of your company right away. And I didn't know that. To me, that was keeping me from registering um, my business as an LLC, as a limited um, liability company, because I didn't have a name. And um, I got a lot of advice from veteran business owners. And one of the biggest ones was make sure it's easy to pronounce. Um, and clearly, that's not. <laughs> I thought this was easy to pronounce. I noticed that a lot of people have a hard time pronouncing it. Um, and because I wanted a Navajo name for my business as well, but all the Navajo names that got thrown around that were kind of workshopping were too hard to pronounce and they would be pronounced incorrectly and sound like something else. So that's why we ended up going with an English pronunciation 
Um, and something simple, another business vendor, veteran owner told me, she, she said, if you're going to name your business, make sure that it doesn't, um, it's not affiliated with um, in one pitch, don't pigeonhole it into like catering or event planning or construction. Because if someone wants to buy it, then they're forced, they're stuck with that name. So that's why my official business name is Salt Vimo, Salt Vimo LLC. It's not Salt Vimo Events. I'm just doing business at Salt Vimo Events. But the LLC is Salt Vimo um, in case Amazon wants to come and buy my business someday. Then they don't have to worry about name change. <laughs> but uh, Salt is my plan. And then I decided to name the company after the two women that are basically my biggest investors. And that was my grandmother and my mom. My grandmother's name was Vivian, um, but Navajos couldn't pronounce Vivian. So everyone just called her V. And same with my mom. My mom's name is Jacqueline and Navajos couldn't pronounce Jacqueline. So everyone just called her Mo. So that's what Salt Vimo events is named after our matriarchal clan, Ashiha, and then the two biggest matriarchs and supporters and investors in my life, V as in Vivian and Mo. So that's what Salt Vimo events stand for. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that um, and talking <laughs> about some of your events that you've encountered or that you worked with. Can you share any horror story that turned out well in the end? Oh, gosh. If you know events, it's all a horror story at the beginning. <laughs> the funny part about events is that if you're in the planning committee and you're doing events and there we have what we call the war room, which is really the staff room. And that's where we keep snacks, where the staff can escape all the demands of being a host at event. And in that war room is where you hear everything happen. And it's the funny part is the attendees for the conference never know it's even happening. And so the whole time, you know, what's going wrong, what didn't happen, what's not on time. And you're having a panic attack and the planning committee, the people, the organization is also having, um, they're also like noticing all these things that are going wrong, but the attendees don't have a clue because it's all, it's all on you, you know? And for me, I'm extra, extra hard on myself. I take it extra hard. And for like I mean, most of my events are four or five days conferences and I get about three hours of sleep a night because of everything that I'm worried about every single day. And so <laughs> I would say every there's, I wouldn't call it horror stories, but there's all, there's always um, solutions to be found for each issue that comes up within an event. And I don't really think there are any horror stories in like insane ones. Um, except, you know, except for when, you know, we're all native and this is something, this is why it's important to hire an native event planner for your native organization or your native event. It's because we all know that when you invite an uncle or auntie, they're going to bring their 10 kids. <laughs> so you've got to plan for that extra meal or you got to remember to ask, Hey, are you bringing a partner? Are you bringing any family? So we can include them in the meal count and, um, and that's something I always include in the budget and review with a client beforehand is that, by the way, this is the budget. And so I just want you to know, to, I'm going to ask your attendees if they're going to be bringing any family members, because what ends up happening is sometimes, and you don't want to be rude, especially being native, you don't want to not feed anybody. And the worst conversation to have, and I never had to have it this far, because 
you know, I work with native people and they understand is to, and I've had to have it at an event that was not put on by natives or it wasn't a native event where I had to tell the people, sorry, these, this table's reserved. You can't sit here and you can't eat. <laughs> it's heartbreaking to say that. It's so hard, but I've never had to do with any of my events. Um, we've always sent for contingencies. Um, and, you know, we always communicate with our attendees. If you plan on bringing family members, please let us know so that we can, you know, make a plate for them, have a plate for them when they eat. So I would I would say that if anything, that that is the scariest part when I go into events, that I don't want to turn away anybody for a meal because that's coming being being Navajo and being native. That's an awkward conversation. I never want to have. <laughs> So you really have to be prepared for anything in an event, like even if like the air conditioning runs out, what would you do then? <laughs> right. If the air conditioning runs out, there's always um, the ho- I always make sure the hotel or the venue, the meeting space that we have, they have backup um, air conditioners. And this comes from my farm ranching background. They have these gigantic uh, fans they can bring in. They're about the size of... Um, a desk just as tall and you can bring them in and turn, plug them in and run that up until they get the air conditioner going. So if we're in Phoenix, that might work. Well, it's good enough for the dairy cows to keep them cool. So <laughs> I would say that it could cool off a meeting space pretty quickly, but I also keep vendors on speed dial that we can rent from, from item for items like that for um, portable air conditioners. So, yes, we always, always have a contingency plan, no matter, um, even if everything's going smoothly, that that makes it worse. That's when your anxiety flares up because everything's <laughs> going too smoothly. <laughs> that is awesome. And where do you see or where would you like to see your business in five years? Well, with the COVID, it cut back two years. So I had a 10-year um, vision about two years ago, pre-COVID. And because, and you were asking earlier if I've ever had events on the Navajo Nation. I've only had two events, or I should say only have, only had events on two locations. That one was at Denet College, one's at Navajo Nation Museum, and one was at Twin Arrows Casino in Flagstaff. And all of those venues do not have a capacity for a 400-person conference. Anything higher than that, um, I have to I have to book somewhere at a bigger city like Las Vegas, Phoenix, or Albuquerque. And I always get questions from the native people like, how come they always have events at Las Vegas? People just want to go to Las Vegas to party. And it's like, yes, that's true. But also Las Vegas is one of the largest place, one of the, is a place where they have the largest convention space where they can host 10,000, 12,000 people events, no problem. They have the capacity, they have the staff, they have the food, they have the experience. So you're not running around doing everything. And a smaller venue and no shade to the Navajo Nation Museum, they do a really good job. I have to hire a caterer. I have to make sure that we have enough um, tables and chairs for um, a 200 person event. I have to make sure, like you said, I have to turn the air conditioner way up because once that place gets filled with 200 people, it gets real hot in there, even in the winter. Um, I have to make sure the food, there's enough uh, places to sit. That cafeteria they have in there is pretty tiny. So we have to procure separate seating for them. So saying that, there's just not, there's just no venues on the Navajo Nation that have the capacity to put on these large scale events like Res. You guys have all heard of the Res Conference. 
think that's a 2000 person event. There is NIGA, which is the National Indian Gaming Association. They have their annual conference. And I think that is, I would guess it's around two to 5,000 people event. So just seeing the lack of infrastructure here on the Navajo Nation, we're missing out on a lot of income and being able to host big events like that. I would like maybe in 10 years to start exploring setting up a conference center either here or in Winter Rock or somewhere where we can host large-scale events like that and bring income to the Navajo Nation. Because, And that's why Las Vegas, that's why they, um, their convention center, why they um, lobby so hard and advocate so hard for uh, events to be there because you bring people, those people are going to go and uh, buy food at their sandwich counters. They're going to go to the bar and buy um drinks at the bar. They're going to go to the pool and buy food at the pool. They're going to go to the surrounding areas and spend their money. They're going to buy parking. They're going to buy amenities. So just from one attendee, they'll, they'll spend additional money at that venue and that money stays in that community. And if we did that on Navajo, we could really, really stimulate the economy like that. We could have Navajo vendors, Navajo food, and all that leads into native foods available for these events. So that's why if that economy was built there, then we would have our own Navajo caters, which leads down to Navajo suppliers who could provide the blue corn. So all those things um, kind of impede having true native events. And I want to say like we used to be able to have them. And that's another reason why event planning was so easy for me because we grew up doing this. We as in Navajo women grew up doing this putting on last minute ceremonies for 75, 100 people. And finally, Candice, where can our listeners go to find out more about Salt Vimo events and how can they contact you? Absolutely. You can go to my website. It's www.saltvmo.com. Um, there's no periods or anything in between. www.saltvmo.com. And on that website, you can find, you can see a list of my services, my bio, um, what the company provides. And below, you can contact me in the contact sheet at the bottom. You can also find me on Instagram at SaltVMO. And you can find me on Facebook under the same um, tag, SaltVMO. Perfect. Well, I would like to thank you, Candice, for taking time out to talk to us today. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Up next, Lanasha talks with Tyrell Deshini. Support for KRDP 90.7 FM comes in part from Native Health, with two locations in Phoenix, 4041 North Central Avenue, Building C, near the corner of Central Avenue and Indian School Road, and at 2423 West Dunlap Avenue. Native Health is also located in Mesa at 777 West Southern Avenue, near the corner of Southern and Extension Roads. COVID-19 vaccinations, boosters, and testings are available at all locations. For more information, call 602 279 5262 or visit our webpage at nativehealthphoenix.org.
Welcome back to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and KRDP 90.7 FM. I'm host Lanasha Pawati. Tyrell Deschitney is a Native American weaver. Hi, Tyrell. It's an honor to have you on our show today. Yes, Yate. It's also good to be on here as well and to be asked to speak on here as well. So, Yate to you as well. Definitely. And before we get started, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your weaving, wool boy weaving? Can you also tell us where you're from and about your indigenous heritage? Oh, yes, of course, totally. So wool boy weaving was something that I started a couple of years ago. It was something that I've always been passionate about since I was younger. And for me, um, my name is Harold Ishini. I am Dene from the Navajo Nation. And I reside in a place called Rock Point, Arizona. And for me, I take a lot of pride in that because of how traditional the community is. They're so well engaged and involved in the Navajo culture and language as well. So a lot of that really plays into what really motivated me to start weaving at a couple of years ago, just from being home and pretty much everything that I have been doing ever since then. A lot, I've been getting the support from the community, family members, friends and family. So that's pretty much where Wool Boy Weaving pretty much started from and that's where it's going as well. Oh, wow. That is awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, can you kind of walk us through for uh, our listeners, maybe who aren't familiar with weaving? Can you tell us about the process of weaving? There's really a whole variety of ways on the process of weaving. For myself in particular, I decided to go with more of a traditional approach what I mean by that is during the start of the pandemic, the stores where a lot of Navajo weavers bought their yarn from, it was actually closed. So we had little to no access to obtaining more yarn for our weavings. And from there, it sort of pushed me to go back to our traditional roots of hand making our own yarn. And the process of that involves raising the sheep, tending to them, feeding them, everything to obtain the wool from them during the spring and summertime. So it really depends on what type of a process that you're approaching it with. And like I said, for me, that's more of the process that I go into. It is a longer, more hard process than it is just to drive to the store and buy the yarn. So to talk about the entire process and to show it is something that really can't be done in a short matter of time, but to explain it thoroughly, everything is like a whole nother story, a whole nother chapter again. But the process, it really involves a bunch of math. It involves a bunch of thinking ahead. It's like thinking five steps ahead and just, because as you're setting up the process, you also have to consider the colors that you want, the design that you want to go with, the size that you want to make the rug. All of that goes into factoring just one piece 
and it can be exhausting, but it is well worth it in the end. Oh, wow. I didn't know all of that went into weaving. And I know you had mentioned that you had this spark of passion um, when you were younger. Can you tell us how did you learn to weave? Was there anybody else in your family that is a weaver as well that you picked it up from? (laughs) This is actually um, one of my least favorite questions because I'm self-taught. And what I mean by that is I literally had to teach myself how to weave. Despite having family members who know how to weave, there just never was the time or the effort into actually learning from them, whether it's from their end or my end. But overall, I taught myself and I decided that this is what I wanted to do because like I said, it was something that I've always been passionate about since I was younger. But even down to that, at the time, there were traditional norms that were against it. Some people are against Navajo men weaving. Some people say that there are restrictions for it as Navajo men. But overall, it was myself that had to make the decision to do so. My mom, she used to weave when she was younger, but um, she only wove up to a certain age. My grandmother, she also used to weave up until probably in her early 20s, she stopped. My great-grandma, she also used to weave the traditional saddle blankets, but I never learned it from her because she passed on when I was at a really young age as well. And then from before that, everyone pretty much wove um, back like in the early 1900s and before. Oh, wow. But that is pretty amazing that you were able to teach yourself how to weave. How long does it take to weave each piece? Um, <laughs> to weave each piece, there's no exact time frame around it. And when people ask that question, I typically just tell them, it depends on how much time and effort you actually put into it. There are some people who can weave a 12 by foot rug by five feet in less than two weeks. It really depends on the experience, the time management and everything. But for me personally, just for something that I typically do, it probably takes me about two to three months. Considering you also have to tend to the sheep, the horses, haul water, cooking, cleaning, all of that factors in as well. So it's really hard for me to sit down and just weave for a certain amount of time. So overall, I try to keep track of the time I put into one piece. And I the, the furthest I've ever got was 48 hours just for one rug dress, which was a, a child's rug dress. And that was just the one side. So for me to actually keep track of how long it takes me to time, it's really difficult. But depending on, like I said, the factor that goes into it, me just making time to sit there and get so much done within a certain amount of days or a week, then overall, I, w- I would say at least two to three months for each piece. 
Oh, wow. That is amazing that you're able to complete a piece. Um, I know each time frame is probably different also depending, as you said, you have to decide on your design beforehand and kind of do all the math behind it. Um, that, uh, Tyrell, can you tell us how does your Navajo background influence your artwork and weaving? For my background of Navajo culture, it really portrays a lot of the traditional oral stories and songs that goes into it. There's also like how most of the designs that I work with, they originated from sand paintings, which is uh, involved with the Navajo ceremony. So a lot of those colors, they're more of a natural color meaning the colors that you would get naturally from the sheep wool, whether it's white, brown, and there's like all different shades of gray, even close to having blue. But not only that, but you also have to use earth tones, meaning you get a, you get a certain traditional color from the plants, which of course, it also takes more time as well. And certain plants only grow a certain time of the year. So that also factors into how long each piece is made. Because for myself, like during most of the winter, it's, uh, I spend it um, carding the wool, spinning the wool, processing it all during the winter. So come spring, with certain plants, that's what I use to dye the white wool with in order to obtain a certain color for a certain design or a certain pattern that I want to incorporate into my weaving. So overall, the traditional process, you have to think a year ahead and you have to prepare because the plants, they don't wait for us. We have to work around their time when they come and when they go. And how has your weaving evolved from when you first started to today? Oh my gosh. <laughs> my very first rug, it was a rug that I was not proud of. There were a bunch of trial and error mistakes that can be seen that I know. However, what the traditional teaching is, our first rugs were supposed to keep or give to someone as a gift. So I kept mine, but I tried to hide it because it wasn't the best. However, my mom actually found it and she hung it up on her wall in her living room. So now everybody who visits, they can see it right there. But in the beginning, I used to sort of be ashamed or embarrassed of it. But whenever I sit there and look at it, it, it just reminds me of how far I've actually come from those bulky designs to those uneven lines to where I'm at now. Because in the beginning, a lot of my designs, a lot of my rugs, they were mostly stripes and boxes because most weavers, that's how we start off is something simple. But now my weaving has become more fine, more detail, I'm adding more um, intricate designs to it. I started just really experimenting with different geographical designs that I feel more comfortable doing. And with that, it's just, 
something that I take pride in knowing this is something that I've done all on my own without the help of anyone else. And for me, I can personally say I learned it on my own without no one having to teach me or with no one taking credit saying that they taught me. So from beginning, from where I started to now, it really has evolved so much that I feel more confident in not only my designs, but when I'm selling my rugs as well, I feel more confident with the price. Although there are some people who say that I am still selling myself cheap. For me, it's just, I want my rugs to go to a good home for a decent price because there was a time when I wanted a rug, but I couldn't afford it. So I understand that some people probably feel the same way. So I try to keep my prices at a decent price, but also profiting from it as well. So from that, it all involves evolving to where I'm at now today. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that story, Tyrell. Um, And I know you, as you mentioned, you've come a long way since you started, and I'm pretty sure you have made many different beautiful pieces. Do you have a favorite piece of rug that you have made? I do, actually. There's actually two pieces that I made. One, it was actually about two and a half years ago that I completed. And it was just a simple um, sort of a cheap style blanket, but with some design in it. And the lady who actually ordered it, she wanted the Milky Way to be somehow incorporated in there. So that's what I was able to do. And it's just something I take pride in because for her, she ordered it as a blanket to wear during the winter time because she dances in winter ceremonial ceremonies. And she said she wanted something to keep her warm. So I know that wherever it is, it is being put to a good use of what it was intended for. And so that one, it is on my Instagram. Um, I had had to upload it on there as well. And my second piece was the very, probably my very largest rug that I've done using the actual sheep wool hand process. And that one, it was a storm pattern. And just the storm pattern, the story behind it, the traditional teachings behind it, all of it that goes into it. And just looking back at it with the natural colors, the plant dyes that I used for it to obtain certain colors and everything. I just went back into it. The people who helped me complete it, it's just, it it meant so much to me. So I also know that that also went to a good home as well. So I would say those are my two favorite pieces that I completed. Wow, thank you for sharing that. I bet they are both beautiful, beautiful work. Um, But Tyrell, can you tell us how can someone learn more about your weavings and how can they contact you? So this is where I always say social media has its advantages. And for me, taking a step to actually showcasing my work, it pretty has helped a lot. And there are actually some weavers out there who do not actually showcase their work, their completed work out in the open like that. 
But for me, I've offered classes before. I'm always trying to do tutorials. And right now, TikTok is something that plays into social media nowadays. Everyone's familiar with it. And I also am a word, ah, I am also in the process of having a website created. So you can find me pretty much on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and that's pretty much where all of my information is at, how to get in contact with me. You can simply send me a message on there, and yeah, that's probably the easiest way to get in contact with me. Well, I would like to thank you, Tyrell, for taking time out to talk to us today to share your journey and starting um, becoming a Navajo weaver. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and 90.7 FM KRDP. Our executive producer is Susan Levy. Sound engineer is Javier Quiroga, and our host is Lanasha Puadi. We hope you will tune in again next week. If you have any questions, please reach us at nativetalkaz at listen2krdp.com.